Broadcasting live from Geode's Stoic Wisdom, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And today we have a special guest on the show, returning once again, the prodigal son returns. Rocky Kari is here today to talk the High Republic book three with us, and we could not be more excited. How you doing, Rocky? Woo! I am doing good. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the High Republic. I think this is some of the best Star Wars content in the Disney era. Just really excited to talk about it. If I'm not mistaken, Seamus, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Rocky is the first guest that we've had back on the show. He's our first returning guest. Oh my goodness, is he No fun? way, is really? He- you're part of the two timers club. You're gonna get a jacket yes. like SNL. Oh my god, I can't believe it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks guys. I, I'm really honored to be on your guys' show. Yes, uh, second you, time. You're officially in the Hall of Fame at this point. Until we get one other repeat guest, and then maybe you'll, you'll get bumped. Who knows? Well, Rocky, you're welcome <laughs> back anytime if you ever need to defend your title. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. But we're going to go ahead and jump into some news real quick. Up top, near and dear to the podcast's heart, is at age 87, Jules Bass of Rankin and Bass, creator of beloved holiday cartoon stop-motion shorts from the 1970s and 80s, has passed away. We did an entire episode several years ago on the Rankin and Bass cinematic universe, which is mostly focused around their Christmas content and also a little bit of July sprinkled in there. Um, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Rock, do you have any I familiarity have no... with the Rankin and Bass films? No, I don't. My family is uh, Hindu, mm-hmm. and um, so we would still celebrate Christmas in terms of like giving gifts, but like... We never really, like, did any, like, religious stuff, and, like, I know this isn't, like, a religious thing, but, well, actually, are the animations more religious, or is it just, like, Christmas? There's a couple of them that like, lean a little lives. bit. There's there's Little Drummer Boy, which is, which is right, obviously right. more explicitly Christian, but, I mean, most of them are more secular in that it's just kind of, like, Santa Claus and Rudolph and... I mean, there's also the Peter Cottontail Easter ones, which also get a little uh, Jesus-y. The Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is one of them. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So I don't know why this is, but so many Indian households, I know, like my friends, have watched live action Christmas stuff, but never animated. I don't know why. That is fascinating. It's, it's really super weird. Like, no, no Indian person I know has seen, like, the Rudolph thing, like, all the way through. But, like, if you ask them if you've seen, like, Elf, they're like, oh, hell yeah, I've seen Elf. Like, <laughs> so, like, it's really weird. <laughs> that is weird, considering, again, those Rankin and Bass ones are so far removed. They're on the same like religious level as an elf i feel like exactly yeah yeah that's what i've heard especially i mean elf is so influenced by them the look and feel of the North oh Pole yeah the yeah yeah yeah, yeah the, the, it's so much claymation a straight reference to these more or less some of them are good some of them are bad but definitely had an undeniable impact on my perception of christmas as a child and i think seamus you share that a little bit i think at least on the same level maybe a little less but i feel like there is barely any holiday memories that I have without some Rankin and Bass going on at some point in in the holiday season. But now I think it's time we dive deep on a little bit of Marvel content here on the show, which we are always doing for some reason. I wonder why. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, right? It, it's it's like we're trapped in this in this corporate franchise loop. Who knows? We got a glimpse at the new Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer that just dropped this week. What did you guys think of that one? 
me and my brother absolutely love the Marvel movies. Like many others watched towards the end of phase one, we got into it. And then phase two and three watched it religiously. And phase four, we were keeping up with everything. But it was only like the start of this year that we started to feel like really big fatigue as a lot of other fans have felt. Mainly with the amount of TV shows there are, plus the quality of the movies. Like besides Spider-Man, everything in phase four has like, really not hit as high of a mark as I wanted. I do think Black Panther is going to change that. I think Black Panther 2 is going to be sick. Mm. But similar to Spider-Man, I feel like both of those movies really don't have a big impact on the MCU in terms of like where it's going, which the movies don't, the, the best movies don't have to have that. But it sucks that we have very little direction right now. Obviously, we kind of know where it's going with Kang, but still we're kind of left in the dark with that. But I will say um, this trailer for Quantumania got me so excited. I think that this is going to be lit. I think Jonathan Majors is Kang. He's going to kill it. I think it was awesome that we got to see him in Loki first. And then this, like, I'm reading, like, reports about, like, how, like, serious he is about the role. Like, I think he's going to be the highlight of Phase 4. So I'm very excited for him especially. And Ant-Man's a great character. So I think him leading the charge is going to be great. I'm very interested in Jonathan Major's rendition of Kang. I did like his interpretation on Loki, and I think he's a good actor in general. I feel like we talk about him pretty frequently on this show, both oh, yeah. in and out of Marvel. I will say that, funnily enough, Rocky, you brought up the whole kind of isolationism of specific movies that don't impact the larger MCU, and that's something that I've always really enjoyed about the Ant-Man movies, is that they're really contained into being these just kind of wacky comedies. I think they're the MCU films that are maybe not the best, but I think they're really good at embracing their unique tone and embracing just being quippy comedies in a way that most of the other movies don't. And so I think it's really weird to see them being like, you know who's going to be the big vehicle for the main new Thanos villain for Phase 4 is Ant-Man 3 when... The first two Ant-Man villains are genuinely nothing. I'm excited for Ant-Man 3, I'm excited for Kang, but I don't know, even though I thought the trailer was very well put together, I'm not super sold on them mixing like this. That's a really good point. I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying here, and I have a bigger soft spot for the Ant-Man movies than I guess you do. I've always really liked them, and I'm really excited to see a lot more... Cassie Lang in this one I, it's, it seems like she is going to be a way bigger part of a lot of this movie specifically so I'm I'm really excited to see where that goes in terms of like Young Avengers things or maybe her gaining her own powers but I can't echo the sentiments of you both about being excited for Kang enough especially in this trailer we get a quick a quick glance at his like prime Kang suit yeah. a little bit which has yes. got me super jazzed about what's going on there and however many Kang variants end up coming in here to to cause the chaos that's going to go down in the quantum realm I'm very very excited for it also yes. Bill Murray is here for some reason Bro, that's strange, right? really great timing on that one guys you couldn't have edited the trailer <laughs> oh, before you dropped this one yeah isn't that crazy my just god just one quick frame that was so funny <laughs> that'll be interesting I think they're gonna kill him off so quick in this movie yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't, like, cut him. Like, maybe it's, like, in the story, like, you can't cut him. 
but I'm shocked that they didn't just like cut their losses with that. I, I especially with a company like Disney, but I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of Ant-Man three casting, we have William Jackson Harper joining the cast in an unspecified role. And I I'm thinking Seamus, that my podcasting call for Reed Richards is about to come to fruition. I honestly very much think you're right on that. William Jackson Harper, a, a favorite on this show, of course, Chidi Adagonye from The Good Place, he is fantastic. You know, I've seen him in a couple other things where he he doesn't really shed that, like, super high geeky what? factor as much, really, but I, I think if he is, in fact, going to be a Reed Richards, I think that's, like, perfect for him. I don't know, guys. I don't know if I can see no? it. I've only seen him in Midsommar, so, like, that's all I got. But, yeah, I mean, if he is cast as him, like, I, I hope he does a good job. You know, I even think his role in Midsommar is a perfect I, a way to kind of view that still very stressed all the time. Not as, like, Chidi Adagonye from The Good Place, but, like, his intelligence and the way he speaks and the way he kind of carries himself in that way where it's, like, an authority with more knowledge than, like, brute power of anything, really, I think that could slip into a Reed Richards character. But, again, this is just speculation. We only know that he's going to be in the movie and not who he actually is. For sure. Rocky, I do think you should watch Good Place if you have any interest. We are huge fans of that on this show. We used to cover it week to week before it ended, and I think it's one of the best sitcoms of the last 20 years. Dang, dude, a lot of people have recommended it to me. Like, one of my best friends, Rom, he's been telling me to watch it for a while. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely add it to my list and get to it eventually, yes. I promise. Rom's got good taste. Rom, yeah, yeah. Rom, Rom is on the money here. It's only four <laughs> seasons of a show, so, like, it's it's not even that big of a commitment for, like you were saying, Garrett, one of the best comedies on television in the last, like, decade. But we do have one more piece of news, and Rocky... We know we're, we're, we're dropping this in on you on really, really suddenly, but here on this show, we do like to have a little segment that we call Warner Warning. Oh, there it is. The alarm. Sound the alarm. This is definitely something we should have explained when we started. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Let's get that alarm turned off so we can talk about the latest in our Warner Brothers Discovery merger news. That's something that we've been keeping very much abreast of, Rocky. I don't know how much you've been following it uh, in the news. Kind of passively, but uh, it's pretty nuts. Last week we talked about how Walter Hamada, former head of DC Films and one of the people that was pretty much singled out by Ray Fisher when talking about the problematic and abusive yes. nature of DC Films infrastructure. So he's left following the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, and in his place, producer Peter Safran and writer-director James Gunn are set to become co-CEOs of DC Films. This is a pretty major move. It's really rare to see a type of creative force, especially one as well-known as somebody like James Gunn, become an executive for such a large studio. Pretty wild when I heard this news, for sure. I'm not unhappy with that news. I feel like James Gunn's creative mind is very on track with just pure entertaining movies. We've seen him take his dip into DC as a director with the Suicide Squad, which we, I know me and you, Garrett, both really, really liked. I also really liked it. It was really good. Great. Yeah, yeah. See, so, like, he, he has his footing in DC right now to make it fun again, maybe, which is maybe a crazy thing to say about DC superhero movies. But also, I took a little look at Peter Safran, too. A lot of great, fun 
James Gunn projects that he was a, a, a big hand in producing, too. So I feel like we're kind of leaning into the entertainment factor of these superhero movies more than we've seen since, like... The Man of Steel or whatever, yeah. the, la- the the start of all of this very dreary Snyder-verse stuff. Not to mention Peter Safran's long-standing relationship with James Wan, a director that I know you and I are both very fond of, Seamus. I will say on a larger scale, I really like the idea that these creatives are becoming the heads of DC because so much of Warner Brothers Discovery's recent choices have been very distinctly anti-artist, anti-art, and it seems to me that people like Peter Safran and James Gunn understand the value of artistic voice and artistic license and will champion and fight for and advocate for there being more originality or at the very least more artistic license within this movie-making machine. One can only really hope on that. Rocky, are you steeped in DC right now? Did you see Black Adam? Do you care at all about where that's going? So I did not see Black Adam, but I will say that earlier this year, Garrett, I don't think we talked about this, uh, but me and my old roommate watched the original Justice League. Uh, It was booty. And then (laughs) after that, right the day after that, we watched Zack Snyder's Justice League. I swear to God, me and him were, like, levitating after that movie. We were like, this was incredible. Like, it was just so awesome getting to see a great DC movie and, like, for Zack Snyder to really, like, really hone in on the vision that he wanted. It was, it was, it was incredible. And afterwards, me and Shaw, we were, like, Googling, like, about Zack Snyder and the Snyderverse and like what's going on and like this year 2022 has gone by with um Amber Heard and um and Ezra Miller and with Zack Snyder too and with Henry Cavill obviously before it's so weird and like I loved the ending of Zack Snyder's Justice League and like if they ever made a sequel to it I will be there day one but right now it just doesn't look bright I'm very excited for Shazam 2 I loved Shazam 1 I do eventually want to see Black Anna, but I not I'm not interested enough to go see it in the theater. Basically, I'm just more picky and choosy with DC than I am with Marvel. Like mm. the Marvel movies, I'm gonna watch all of them, but with DC, where it's like if I'm interested, I'll see it, but like I'm not like a completionist. Ironically, Seamus and I were discussing this on the bus to go see Black Adam inadvertently he and i have become more dc completionists than marvel of late i think because dc projects and i think it's kind of the same reasoning that you have for not being a completionist is that they're so varied and they're so tonally different and they don't seem to care about continuity anymore and so basically seamus and i have been seeing the ones that interest us and that's what we're doing for marvel too it just so happens that the last like year DC's been hitting that more for us. We weren't admittedly very interested in Black Adam, and it was more of a, a joke. It was, for, it was for the meme. Yeah. For, at first. Yeah. At, at first. first. But then we saw Black Adam, and we were actually quite taken with it. Not as a good movie, but as, as an experience. As, yeah, as a fun movie. Oh, yeah. yes. Very much so. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, I'm excited to see where this goes. I think probably... I don't want to speak too soon. I don't want to count my, my chickens before they hatch, but I think... Hopefully that this new direction will bring you back to being a DC completionist, Rocky. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, because I, I, I love the DC characters, so I hope that, yeah, we'll see. 
from one mega corporation back to another, I think it is time for us to jump into our main segment where we will be talking about the High Republic Fallen Star, the newest, well, not the newest now anymore, but what was the newest adult mainline novel in the Star Wars High Republic series. Let's do it. This week's main segment, we are talking about book three, the final installment of the first phase of Star Wars The High Republic, The Fallen Star. Guys, what did you think about this one? Pre-spoilers, what were your overall thoughts about this this final piece in phase one? So out of the three books, so the first one is Light of the Jedi, second Rising Storm, third Fallen Star, I would put Rising Storm number one, Light of the Jedi number two, and then number three this, but... I still really loved this book. Even though it was my least favorite of the three, it was still awesome. And I really, really loved it. I loved the looming danger of it all and the disaster movie feel of it. The villains of the book are also excellent. Markian Roll or Martian Roll, I don't know how you pronounce it, but we Mark don't Yon either. <laughs> yeah, Markian Roll was freaking every every time, every scene, he's super badass. I love the mystery with him and his family, which we won't get into right now, but I think the best part about the High Republic is the the heroes. I think I love I absolutely love uh, Stellan Gios and uh, Alzar Man and and Bells Out of Far. Those those are the three that easily steal the show. Oh yeah. I wish that Avar Chris had more to do in this mm. book, but apparently she's more in um, a comic or another book, but. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, so I wish that I I wish that she had more to do in this. But yeah, overall, really loved the book. Great end to this first phase. I kind of I don't know if this is a spoiler, but it does end on a cliffhanger, and I kind of wish that it ended on more finality mm. instead of a crazy cliffhanger. Because well, we'll talk about phase two later. But I kind of wish that it ended it ended on more of a conclusive factor. But I don't know. What did you guys think about the book? You know, Rocky, I agree with most of your sentiments. This is definitely my least favorite of the three adult books from The High Republic Phase 1. I still really liked it. I like these characters so much. Zetifer Bell is my boy. He is so well-written. He's so likable. To me, he is the default protagonist of this adult mainline series so far, especially because, like you were mentioning... He's the only main character that really has prominence in all three books, which is my big problem with the High Republic Phase 1 overall. I jumped around, I think more than most people are going to be willing to jump around between the different kinds of media, between the comics and the miniature comic runs and the one-shots and the adult books and the YA books and the kids' books and everything— And it was still hard for me to keep track of the overall stories of a lot of the characters, especially people like Avar, who seem like they're going to be the main characters when you first start that first adult book, Light of the Jedi. I did like, you know, Zetifer Bell, Briaga, Elzar Man, and uh, actually uh, Joss and Pika Adrin, who I was not expecting to be so prominently featured in this (laughs) book, are the characters that I do feel like ultimately do get to kind of follow their way through and be the main characters that they're implied to be when they first start this whole journey. But I think part of the reason that this feels like it has such a lack of finality is because it isn't tying up 
a lot of the characters that we've come to know over the first two books it isn't finishing off their arcs or at least setting them up to go on to whatever might lie ahead for the rest of the High Republic phases. While overall I liked it, yeah, that is the thing that really kneecaps my enjoyment of this story as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you guys are, are talking about here. There There is a few things that are burning in my brain right now that they did not get the kind of attention that I wanted them to get. And that's not to say that the things that did receive a lot more fleshing out in this book weren't done incredibly well. Like you were saying, Joss and Pika and their relationship with my new favorite characters of all time... <laughs> Affy Hollow, Leox, and Geode are like my my favorite people, and I think their parts of this book were incredibly well done. But things like Avar and even the extent of where Stellan gets to do more things in this book, it's it's a lot more centralized in the few spaces that he gets to kind of flourish. I got stuff to say about Stellan, but sorry, oh, no, I, oh, I cannot <laughs> wait for that, man. I, yeah, I've got a lot to say specifically about these characters that I have grown to genuinely love in the short period of time that I've been, you know, putting myself into the High Republic era. But overall, I think I agree with you guys that while this might not be my favorite of the three, and in fact might be the bottom of the three, I still thought overall it was a really fun read, and a lot of the countdown to chaos that was written in there but lesser so specifically stated it reminded me a lot of the more specific countdown of what we got in light of the jedi with the hetzel incident and all that so i I really appreciated that tensity in the writing that really was throughout the entire book until like the last two dozen pages we we are a little more wrapped up in the immediate crisis yeah but Again, Rocky, your thoughts on you wishing it ended with a little more steady footing for what the future of these characters and this specific part of the High Republic era is, I I wish was a little more solid. Yes. I feel like this is a very effective sequel to The Rising Storm, but it's not an effective end cap to this initial trilogy. Yes. I would completely agree with that. Light of the Jedi feels more like an intro to, like, the whole thing, basically. You know what I mean? Which, to be fair, is its entire function in the franchise. But I really do hope that moving into Phase 2, they've learned from this and are going to go, okay, let's try to keep the young adult characters a little bit more in the young adult books and the mainline (laughs) characters a little bit more in the mainline books. Because the thing you were alluding to is, and I've read all the comics now, Except for High Republic Adventures, I just can't get into them, and I'm sorry to whoever writes those, because I'm sure they're great. But Avar jumps ship from the books and goes over to the comics, and it's just like, oh, she's gone now, I guess, from yeah. from these books. Um, and she was awesome in the first book. Oh, yeah, I, I love the character of Avar, Chris, and yeah. the fact that I'm going to have to kind of inject that character into the all the periphery stuff in my own viewing of things, it, it seems a little daunting. But it's not to say that I, I wouldn't steep myself deeper into that other periphery stuff i just wish i feel like they even tease her a lot more in the beginning of this book itself that yeah. that doesn't really come through where it's I, in the comics are, it's all in the I comics guess, i guess <laughs> i'll read the comics i enjoyed that uh first comic collection that i got my hands on from you garrett but i would have liked it in the book i guess is the I ultimate agree. the ultimate one of what i'm saying here I'm trying to think, really, of what we can even... I feel like there's so much that happens so quickly in this book, 
it's kind of hard to avoid spoiling anything. I'm kind of wondering if we just want to go ahead and start spoilers. I think so. Like you said, I think this I'm ready. Yeah, seriously, it, this jumps around so much. We need to we need to start jumping ourselves. Well, there you have it. It is official spoiler warning for Fallen Star and retroactively pretty much all of the High Republic Phase 1. There's some comic stuff that I'm not going to get into for your guys' sake. But I want to start us off in our spoiler territory by saying Zetifer Bell and Briaga are absolutely the power duo that I did not know I needed until this book, and I'm so invested in them. Yeah, they are no true doubt, bros, dude. and it's awesome. <laughs> I love the Jedi friendships in this in this High Republic era right now, and their friendship specifically is like truly pure. And maybe that's because Briaga is just the purest boy ever Number written about. One but boy. oh, he's so good! I love him to death. And maybe and that's love, a like, weird the... way to phrase that, but <laughs> I love how much um, they relate to each other in terms of like loss, like. After Loden Greatstorm, which ripped Loden Greatstorm, he was he was awesome. He was a real one. I, yeah, he was a real one. And like I really? loved Bell and Briaga's relationship after. And wait, correct me if I'm wrong. So at the very end, Briaga is presumably dead, but Bell's like, I don't believe he's dead, right? I finished this book not 24 hours ago, so I got you on the details. Oh, it nice. Was the, it was the mission with Elzar and Briaga and the ships that are going to defend them in the airlock escape in the cargo bay. Briaga is fighting off Rathtars and gives himself the noble sacrifice for Elzar to have the time to open up the shield doors on his own, and presumably Briaga either gets killed by Rathars or sucked out of the airlock, but we really just don't know what happens to him following that, and... That is a super compelling way for me. I know that you guys didn't like the cliffhanger so much, but they did such a good job establishing Bell and Briaga as a team and such a good job at yeah. showing Bell's arc over these three books about learning to trust his instincts and learning to not give up on his friends that they have me so invested in that character specifically and that dynamic specifically that I am pumped and I need him to go find him right now. <laughs> Yeah, if that was a standalone novel, I'd already be reading it, you know? I I, I think the one bit of hope, because I don't believe Briaga is gone, personally. I don't just believe like that Bell, they would have I mean, given us the hope if he were. Exactly. It, it, solely for the fact that he does get into an atmosphere suit before they start the fight with the with the oh. Ran, Rathnars. So, I don't know. It's po Anything is possible. It's also possible that he gets... Uh, as suddenly axed from this era <laughs> as any other character in this book, because my god, there are a lot of surprising deaths here. It's pretty crazy. Do we want to touch on some of the, the, the death counts of some yes. characters that I thought were going to be long-standing in this era? I mean, I, I, I would love to with uh, the one that I was so mad about, and that's Stellan Gios. That honestly floored me. Not at all what I thought was going to go down with that. I mean, at a certain point, reading about him keeping the station afloat, I realized what was going to go down, but entirely shocking to me that that's how they would write part of the ending to this phase. So I love trios in stories, and I loved how they were setting up that Avar, Elzar, and Stellan all grew up together, or Padawans together, and all like loved each other. 
Yeah, the constellation reading, is what they keep calling it. Yeah, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah so that like was reading, so touching to me. And re- yeah. Yeah. And reading Light of the Jedi and Rising Storm, I was so hyped. I was like, bro, third book, they're all going to reunite and it's going to be so epic. And Stellan dies. And I was like, what? Maybe it's just because I wanted to see the three of them together so badly. But like, I just felt it was kind of just a cheap way to feel sad at the end because i feel like Stellan was a good character and like i remember reading like one of the uh, one of the high republic writers was like yeah we decided to kill him off because like we didn't have anything else for him to do in like phase two and i'm like what yeah i'm like what you could there's so much you could do with him so i was kind of that was really disappointing for me that they just killed him off so quickly but what do you what about you guys what did you think of that I think well, pick- sorry. No one's ever really gone, guys. That, that he could. Oh, Pal- Palpatine survived worse. Am I right? I mean, he could be <laughs> at the bottom he of the ocean the same somewhere. Thing, essentially. Yeah, ex- a space station crashing in half into an ocean. I mean, it, I would fully stop caring about the High Republic if they did that, but it's not <laughs> off the table. I think the fixation, Rocky, that you bring up on trios is is a really apt kind of avenue to explore the death of Stellan with because. If you look at something like The Force Awakens in the Star Wars canon, where we have the trio, Luke, Leia, and Han, and it seems like the build-up is going to be to getting those three characters together and getting them to go on an adventure again, and that's what the fans want, that's what the movie wants you to want and everything, and then they end up killing Han Solo in what I feel is a very derivative and kind of hollow way to get rid of that character, even if it is deepened a little bit by what they later go on to do with with Kylo Ren. I think if you look at that compared to the way Stellan's death is handled, there's a lot more thematically going on, because they center those first two books all around building up that trio, and building up their relationships, and how important they are to each other, and the kind of weird one-sidedness of, like, Stellan is kind of removed from them because, obviously, Avar and Elzar are in love, even if they can't admit it because they're in the Order. Yeah. And they really, like you said, get us hyped up to see them in action together as fully-fledged adults. And something that they allude to in The Rising Storm and this book, but they don't really flesh out, is in the comics, Stellan and Avar are really mad at each other because Avar has made an alliance with the Huts in order to fight the Drengir, which Stellan thinks is a terrible misstep in the overall perspective of the Republic. And so I feel like a lot of that is missing from this book and might be kind of key context when you take into account the idea that Stellan dying is to me, an intentionally blunt, intentionally unsatisfying way for him to go because you don't get the reconciliation with Avar, you don't get the moment of the three of them coming together to save the galaxy or whatever else you think you're going to get with them. Kind of like Luke dying in Last Jedi moment, which, despite the fact that you don't get the badass thing that you want and you don't get the resolution with the other characters that you were really hoping they would have, there is ultimate fulfillment in sacrificing yourself for those you care about, sacrificing yourself for the lives of innocent people, and 
a serenity in the knowledge that through the Force, the three of them will be together, even if Stellan has physically passed on from the living realm. I agree that I think that that should have been more in this stupid book, because that stuff that's going on in the background of the comics is so vital to understanding Stellan's headspace, especially his relationship with Avar. I don't think that I can fault anybody for not liking that death when the full context for it isn't in the book that he actually dies in. Yeah, because especially there, there's that moment between Avar and Stellan where they're having a, like a hollow chat, which he's getting closer to arriving at the station. And I took a lot of the disdain and the, the anger, the, the frustration from Stellan and Avar, well, I guess more on Stellan's side, with just like the subplot of the invisible levelers that are lurking in the in the station. And I know a lot of it was uh, it's almost specifically stated by the book, but I think that greater context would have made that moment hit a lot harder. And I'm a little sad that I didn't have that going in. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, uh, Garrett, what you said was um, very, very well said. I definitely agree with what you're saying. But I think for me, as somebody who only is reading the adult books even you're saying that you wish that there was more con they gave more context in this book and like for someone like me like it's definitely gonna feel that lackingness mm -hmm. for lack of a better term but yeah and i think that's a problem that some of the high republic has where book two the rising storm felt very grounded because like it's all that one event while this it's it is the one event but there's stuff going on behind the scenes that is covered in other stuff Totally. I totally yeah. get that. Oh, I will say, I know this isn't a podcast about the Rising Storm, but I want to mention this because I didn't get to talk about this. For the Rising Storm, when Lena So, the Chancellor, mm -hmm. is, she wakes up, like, she's waking up after, like, all the chaos and, like, after her, like, wounds from the whole attack, and she wakes up and her son is at her bed, and he, like, puts a hand on her and she they hold hands. Bruh. Bruh. I, yeah, that really, I, that really like, hit you. Oh my god. That was like, that's probably like my favorite moment in all of the the High Republic. Because like, he was so worried about his mom. And like, the fact that like, it was such a sad event. But the fact that they were both okay in the end. Oh, so good. But yeah, I just wanted to put that and, out there. <laughs> and that makes me further sad that not only do we get such little amount of Avar in this third book. We get very little of the Chancellor in this third book, a character yeah. which I love, and I, I was so happy to see her interact with the Jedi and the Order and the the people of the Republic, and we really only get, like, two cutaways to her in her office on Coruscant, and yeah. I, I would have loved a lot more. And I, again, this is such an isolated event in this book, and the whole point is that they're isolated, but but damn, I, I really like Chancellor So, and I, I was hoping for more. Agree. And I think that there are other characters that are featured in this book that die that despite me being really invested in them from previous books, I don't feel like get a lot to do in this one and it had me struggling to remember who they were. And part of that's just weird Star Wars Jedi naming stuff. <laughs> of course. But yeah. I, I felt like we didn't get enough reintroduction context on specifically uh, Briaga's master Nib. And mm, also yeah. the one who helps Elzar out oh, with um, his force problem. Orla. Orla, the way, right. The Wayseeker. She yes. was such oh, a cool character. Wasn't she, wasn't she like a... Yeah, she was one of the main characters in Into the Dark. 
actually. And that, oh. That's uh, the first three chapters of that book, which is all I read, is how I knew her. A lot of her stuff in here has got me really wanting to go back and read Into the Dark, but yeah, I wish she got more to do in this too. The the deaths, the specific deaths like hers, the pairings of characters and my want to see them interact with each other more or to a more intimate extent, a lot of that was cut short. And a lot of that was with Orla because she is such a personal, individual kind of Jedi character that her stuff with Stellan and her stuff with Elzar were both so specifically radical in in ways that i i didn't think we were gonna get cut short on so soon who was the name of the character that has the purple lightsaber in the second book right she was like completely missing from this book wasn't she Uh yeah and she was like i loved her character she was really cool and like she's nowhere in the third it's like that i would like to see more of her eventually i know we've got a whole phase of content before like hundreds of years before this character is born but Ty Yorick. Ty. Ty Yorick. Yes, Ty. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, she's in the monster from, from Temple Peak High Republic Adventures comics, which are like the only of the High Republic Adventures I read, but those are before Rising Storm. And then apparently she's only in that and Race to Crash Point Tower, which is the one that takes place concurrently with Rising Storm. And I know, I know okay. she's only in it for a little bit because I know how those two stories crossover even though i haven't read all of crash point tower so that makes me think that probably they're saving her to come back in another capacity whenever we decide to revisit this part of the timeline they do such a good job developing that character to not do anything with her or even mention her i don't think in this book not a once i i think that she's completely gone from this I would maybe like to see her aid Bell in his search for Briaga eventually. Cool. I feel like they might have an interesting dynamic that would between, be cool. yeah, one super intensely emotionally distressed Order Jedi and one just like rogue kid who's trying to do good for the world. Maybe I don't know. I feel like that might be an interesting way to do that. But I will say honestly, that kind of feels like the Jedi equivalent of the relationship between Chansey and Nan in this book oh interesting like two two more characters which we haven't even talked about yet which Mm -hmm. i actually really liked these nile prisoners on the ship that oh yeah yeah. ex-nile yeah kind of because nan doesn't seem fully unniled yet she's like still a believer but chancy's done she doesn't buy markeon rose whole situation and she's just trying to fend for herself and ultimately gets killed doing the one selfless thing that she's done in this entire series. Man, that was such an intensely dark moment that I did not expect either. I was, I, In my own head, I was playing out how the confrontation between Elzar and Nan and Chansey would go down when he finally get got to the bottom of the station, but man, did I not expect him to just fully lop her in half Darth Oh, oh style. yeah! So, uh, Seamus, I read the book when it came out in February or January, I think it was. So, uh, it's been a while. So this is all coming back to me, but that was yeah, insane. Just, yeah, I just to remind so you, Rocky, yeah, Elzar is a full murderer now. So that's a yeah. thing that you have to wrestle with. And I love that he's like, I love the parallels to Anakin Skywalker with him. Uh, I think it's really cool. And, um, I think his character is going to, is definitely going to be one of the highlights of the next books in the timeline, I should say. I mean, I don't know how he is going to be able to live with himself after inadvertently, but still pretty directly causing 
Stellan's death because if he had not killed Chansey, she would have been able to fix the thing earlier and then Stellan wouldn't have had to stay on the ship and die. Honestly, I That's feel true. like Elzar is teetering on the edge of dark side stuff right now. I know that's kind of been him wrestling with that for the last two books, more or less. But the way that this book fully wraps up, well, there's a lot of really heartfelt stuff with like Affy and Leox surviving the fall with an old school parachute, which was absolutely amazing because I was weeping for the man. <laughs> but... Elzar doesn't have to face much of what he's done at all. I I thought I think it's going to be more of an internal thing. Like like externally, it's not going to be like he's on trial or anything. But like internally, he's going to be like, "What have I done?" And and I I, I assume that is going to push him to the dark side a little bit more. But mm. I feel like he should have had more outward stuff. If, if the the wrap up of like all the Jedi yeah, coming together yep. and like doing the water pump for the for the planet and i just felt like it ended a little too peacefully for elzar after everything that happened in this book and and that's kind of the problem that i have with even like one chapter apart between him killing chancy and then getting off the station and like i know he's wrestling internally with everything that happened but i feel like he just kind of got off the hook a little more than he should have in the end of everything I, i kind of expected him to like go off on his own and like exile himself quietly and not have to face Avar or you know like hurt himself by not getting to reunite with Avar in penance for the murder that he he committed but I'm sure we'll get more of that in phase three I suppose but I was just expecting a little more a little more consequence immediately for him personally I agree with that. There was also the Jedi moving the with the water thing in the end. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just reminded me. Favorite moment of the first book is when Avar does the freaking, like, she meditates and she, like, connects yes, all their dude. minds, all the Jedi's minds, and then they push the freaking thing away from the planet. Yeah, the oh, back-to-tank explosion the, yeah, that they avoid. Yeah, yeah dude, that was awesome. That's okay. definitely the vibes I was getting at the end with that water yeah. pump, too. My favorite moment of this book, I have to think about that. I have a theory that Elzar and Avar's constant and flagrant disregarding of Jedi practice, of their struggling with the ability to stay on the true and noble path. Avar, obviously, that's a little bit more in the in the comics. Elzar has been more of a focus in the mainline books here, especially now that Stellan is gone and is not going to be there to keep them in line anymore. I actually think that the Council's reckoning with their ill behavior is going to be the thing that drives the Jedi into these kind of zealous monks that we meet when the prequel era first begins, saying, if we don't crack down and make sure that everybody's staying in line and that everybody is following exactly the code of the Jedi, things aren't going to work out so well, because look what happened to Starlight Beacon, you know? And so I think that's going to be really the slip that we see into this kind of fascist tendency of the Jedi when we first meet them in the prequel era, which up until this point is really the first inkling we get of what they're like early on. You know, I was actually kind of thinking a similar a similar thing about like the slow steer towards what we know in the prequels as the Jedi Order and the effect that the loss of Starlight Beacon is going to have on that, like the idea of openness and trusting it, it, it taking things in a way that are way more light and less 
diligent than what we would know in the in the Jedi Order of the prequels, and even that might push Elzar away a little bit more, or I have been thinking that Elzar may turn into a Wayseeker himself. And actually, in the comics, not to spoil too much for you guys, because I, I do encourage you to read them, because they are pretty good. After Starlight Beacon, they talk about pulling all of the Jedi from all of the temples because they're so worried about the levelers, right? Because they're like, there is a thing out there that's targeting Jedi and we can't keep them safe. We need to get them back to the temple on Coruscant. And there's our big list of abandoned Jedi temples that we always find ourselves in, in the, in the newer stuff that's way (laughs) past the, the high Republic era. Yeah. Rocky, I'm very curious to know, have you have you landed on a favorite moment from this yes. book? Yes, I think my favorite moment, and this might be a lame pick, but I think this is the one that really resonated with me because I said I wish I saw the trio together. I loved when Elzar and Avar are finally together at the end, and they are just like thinking about Stellan as they see like the destroyed beacon. That was pretty cool. I honestly didn't really like the message that Markeon Rowe gives at the end. I kind of wish that the book ended with them looking at the ruins. I can see that for sure. That's a great but, moment. But yeah, yeah was, that's a really sweet moment that, that yeah. really, again, digs into the emotional core of that, that constellation trio. Exactly. But what about you guys? Well, mine's a lot stupider than that, but when, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I, honest to God, I had to like put my book down. When Geode killed that red-haired jerk in the hangar. Oh my god. I was floored. I've been just so entertained by the writing of Geode as a character and, like, the way they write his movements or lack thereof and his, (laughs) his, his reactions or lack thereof to anybody who can't understand him. It's like the evolution of how they write Briaga's dialogue, kind of, where yes. they, they kind of like, there's never a quote from Briaga. They they kind of just explain his meanings and they, they talk about the pitch of his growls and all that. But to boil it down to an actual rock that does not ever physically move yes. in a way that is like visible, <laughs> and he does not speak in a way that is, or communicate in a way that's audible. And him literally killing a man to save a small boy was just yeah. the funniest and honestly most badass thing I've ever seen or heard a rock do in fiction. So I, I love that moment. And it, it really zeroed in on that conflict in the hangar that was super compelling to me between yes. all the human, non-Jedi, non-Force users that were caught up in the situation. Geode, when he was first announced or like when he was like in like a comic or something before before um before yeah, that, his book. introduction i believe was in into the dark when they introduced yeah. the whole vessel crew okay i thought it was so stupid i was like oh my god like a <laughs> rock are you kidding me but um i died of laughter every time he moves off screen like there's that <laughs> yeah, one scene right? like there's that one scene where he's i forget who it was but like one of the bad guys they're like doing something and then he like feels like someone's watching him and he turns around <laughs> and Gio's just standing there like that like I was lose I was like actually laughing out loud like, yeah just, just Geode so is like 
he's got the Batman method of just like appearing and disappearing yeah. while people's backs are turned, and I thought that was great. So funny. Also, apparently that Geode is like a sex fiend. He's like trying. <laughs> he's like <laughs> trying to bed all these different species. He's a rock. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, that was also like, what is going on? But like, I think they know. They 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 know how to kill oh, yeah. and they like play it to their strength. So. Yeah, I, I, I love all that stuff. But, yeah. Garrett, do you have a, a favorite moment that, that sticks out to you? I do, and it's not something we've talked about yet, so it's actually good timing, because I think that we're about to, ready to wrap things up here, is Bell's entire journey with the medical tower is something oh, that yes. is really exciting, and at the beginning of the book feels like a distraction and I'm like, okay, Bell, we yep. got to get to the, the action here. Like fo- focus, focus, man, get your head in the game. And they do such a good job of having him work br- with Briaga, having him work with Stellan and Elzar and get to know all the other characters and be so effective in those other places that by the time we get into the third act of this book and you're like, oh wait, the medical tower, he's got to get back. Like Ember's yep. over there. His master's over there. So for me specifically, the moment where, he is able to disengage the airlocks on the tower and free it from the rest of Starlight Beacon and allow the medical frigate to save them is just so moving. And by that point, there's been so many deaths and so many explosions and everything seems so lost that the solace of just saving the lives on that part of the tower feels like such a victory. I literally got goosebumps when I read it. Bell is... My favorite character in this entire era so far. He feels like such a classic, mythic protagonist while also feeling so normal and human and modern. At the same time, I think the writing on him is effortless. And that climactic moment of heroism is so moving and Stalin's reaction to it is so moving that that for me is the high point of this book. Hell yeah. I completely second that. Yeah, seriously, I do too. All the medical stuff, all the stuff with Bell is so, so engaging when he has to split up from people and I'm always worried if he's going to get dusted like Thanos. I, 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 I was, it was very great to see him finally get to safety with Ember and Indira Stokes and all, all the people that he's been trying to keep alive so desperately. That was like his one main little Bell mission specifically. It, it, it was a triumph when, when he, he came up with that plan. Is there anything else that we forgot to mention that that is that is really sticking in anybody's mind? I mean, I thought the whole structure of the disaster itself, like straight up doing a Titanic or a, a Poseidon where the station is fully bisected, was incredibly interesting yeah. and really messed up the way that Claudia Gray writes the damage in inside and outside of the station. And the level of intricacy they have to go through to travel in what should be like the shining light of the Republic, Starlight Beacon. It's their home, basically. And the way they have to dismantle, destroy, crawl through the internals of it throughout the entire book, I thought was an awesome way to write the, you know, what could have been more boring if they were just kind of running around. The the way they wrote the destruction itself was great. I want to really uh, bring up my boy JJ5145. Yes, JJ. He's a great droid. That's one thing that I feel like the High Republic has been really missing is great droid characters. Yes. And I understand that's because they're hard to write, even though, as we were just talking about with characters like Briaga and Geode, being a non-traditionally verbal character, they're still really entertaining and really character-filled ways to write those kinds of beings. So 
JJ5145, very happy that he's here. Very glad he survived the crash and he's going to be around to bother Avar and Elzar and everybody else for the rest of (laughs) that era. Uh, I will be forever devastated by him saying, I am a gift from Master Stellan to you, Elzar man. I was, oh God, that really really took me down. Oh, one last thing I wanted to say about the whole High Republic stuff. I think that it's a crime that these were not movies. There was a lot that I was reading in it where I was like, damn, I wish that my dad and my brother and some of my other friends who don't read these books could enjoy this. But you could be like, oh, well, just tell them to read the book. And it's like some people just don't read a lot. And like seeing it on the big screen would just be so awesome to see. We're probably never going to get a High Republic movie for a We will, but like not for a long time. So. Rocky, do you have casting off the top of your head of who you would want for the three leads? Okay, so for... I I have thought about this. For Avar, I would say... uh, What's her face? The actress who played Sylvie in Loki. Oh, she'd be good. Yeah, I don't know her name, but she's really good good casting, yeah. And then Elzar Mann... Have you guys seen 1917? Yes. The main guy from 1917. He'd be good. He's a little young, probably, but he's definitely got the right look. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to go ahead and move on, talk a little bit more High Republic over in our pop culture reference for the episode. This week's pop culture reference is the High Republic Phase 2. Phase 2 of Star Wars The High Republic, also known as The Quest of the Jedi, is the current era of canon Star Wars books and graphic novels taking place 150 years before the initial phase of content. After launching in October 2022 with comics and young adult novels, The first mainline adult novel, Convergence, will debut in late November. There's no word on how long Phase 2 will last, but it is scheduled to go at least through summer 2023. While the third phase of this new High Republic initiative has yet to be expounded upon by the authors and producers at Disney, it is speculated that this second phase will focus on the solutions of the Starlight-Nile conflicts and the expanding turmoil across the galaxy. Rocky, um, I know that you're really only reading those mainline adult novels which haven't come out yet, but are you are you excited to hop on to Phase 2 going forward? Oh, yes. We're actually going to leave Rocky behind just for a minute to go over and talk about this week's Star Noirs and or Episode 8, but Rocky will pick right back up with us as we go on to our Save the Rec Center segment. Now it's time for Star Noirs, where we break down the latest episode of the Disney Plus original Star Wars series, Andor. This week, we're talking about Episode 8, Narkina 5. Lots of interesting stuff here, man. I will say, it's, it's pretty interesting coming off of what you and I both thought were back-to-back some of the greatest hours of Star Wars, yeah, period. <laughs> seriously, yeah. That, even though this one I don't think is nearly as interesting or good, I was really taken with this episode. Yeah, dude, me too. It kind of slowed everything down a little bit. It kind of sectioned everything off and kept it in its place for, for an episode right now, which which is the last time we got a really interesting setup episode. We we got the Aldani heists at, right after that, so I'm expecting incredible things off the back of this really cool prison-focused episode here. I was surprised about how much of it was really, without getting into spoilers, of course, focused on stuff that has 
essentially no relation to anything that's come previous in this series, which I think is really great in Andor, that we go to these different places that we've never been before, which in Star Wars is not very frequent, to be honest, in newer content, at least. (laughs) Yeah. We meet these cultures or complexes or governments that feel so fleshed out and so fully realized, and it feels like the world really was going there before, you know, Andor showed up or whatever, as opposed to Mandalorian. A lot of the time it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of guys that sit around in this cantina (laughs) and then the Mandalorian shows up and things happen. Even without focusing too hard on spoiler stuff here, too, I'm going to try to avoid it as best I can. It's a lot of stuff that we were kind of given hints of here and there as we've been going along here. A lot of things with characters that are, like I said, kind of all set up to spring into action here and I'm I would really like to get into spoilers a little more cuz there's a lot of just very minute specifics about a lot of the mechanics behind a lot of the things that are happening right now I I I guess I mean that figuratively and literally All right, let's break into spoilers then because we have lots to say about Luthen and Mon and Karn and stuff that we really can't even broach without calling spoilers, I think. Yeah, I'm ready. Thre- threshold is broken now. I'm in love with the bleakness of this electro prison that we're finding ourselves a lot in this in this episode here. Feels a lot like George Lucas's first film, THX 1138, which I'm assuming is very intentional. I would imagine so. It's it's very, very influenced, of course, and it's so crushing the way that they're showing all of this here. It's I and we were kind of getting little hints of it in the last episode, wrapping up towards the end of the consequences of a lot of things that were going down because of Cassian's actions and the Aldani stuff and all of the um program that's like doubling everybody's sentences in the galaxy and like cracking down on everything. I think it's really interesting seeing even already incarcerated people who have nothing to do with the rebellion feeling the consequences of that. Yeah, seriously, it is brutal inside that place. The electro floor is is definitely intimidating, to be sure. And I'm loving back to the Star Wars universe finally. Andy Circus is here, not snokeified up, which is which is fun. He gets to be doing stuff this time. I love seeing him in a non mocap role. It's always such a treat. Like, oh, you get to use your face this time, Andy Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, some people think he's, you know, a little overacty when he's not covered in, you know, white dots to map his face. But, like, I, I think he's great in this episode in general. I'm going to be very interested to see him, I guess, probably oppose whatever prison break or rebellion politics are happening with our friends who are frantically doing sign language to each other mm-hmm. in, in the in the hallways there. I don't know. I assume he's probably going to be against something like that and try to keep his own order to save the last of his brief part of his sentence here. People are going to be grabbing tools off of the line that they're working on. That weird, like, team-focused, they're, they're building equipment against each other and the loser gets punished is is fantastic. I'm sure people are going to be grabbing lasers and wrenches to bash each other in there if somebody finds a way to turn off the electro floors. I saw somebody point out on Twitter, and this is not something I caught myself, despite how recently I'd seen Rogue One, that one of the guys that's in Cassian's little pod is a rebel in Rogue One. Oh, I thought one of his guys felt familiar in there, and that's probably... like Is he just like one of the soldiers who's at the... At the Scarif battle, yeah, I assume. Yeah, like, 
15 guys who who go with Jan and Cassian and the rest of Rogue One. That's kind of awesome. I guess that guy's maybe going to be part of his escape plan, maybe? Or, or, or maybe he's, he's already, already planned uh, the escape and Cassian's going to tag along. Yeah, that maybe that's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe he's already part of some rebellion cell, some kind of resistance that's going to spark something in the prison. That is maybe going to be another way that he crosses paths with Luthen, who's out here trying to organize different strikes with different cells of uh, different teams here, which is interesting. But also, he sent Vel and Cinta to kill Cassia. They're hanging out on, what is it, Ferrix, his home planet? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Getting pretty tense over there because not only do we have Aunt Petunia, she she's not doing too hot. Bix <laughs> is trying really to take not. care of her. The guy that tethered the the ship in those first couple episodes, he's there. Now it's time though for Luthen's Lair, the part of the show where we talk about <laughs> new Easter eggs that we've found in Luthen's antique shop. <laughs> oh, God, did you find? I I was looking. I didn't I didn't clock another one. Did I you got find two one? for you. I don't know if what they're new you? for this week, but they're they're new to me for this week. Oh, what what did you see this time? Um. It, what looked like Chief Tarful's little head thing from Episode Three, the Wookies, the, oh, the really? like chainmail helmet that he yeah, wears. Yeah, no kidding. I did not clock that. And it's right next to that sun hat that Padme wears when they're traveling back oh, to Naboo in Episode Two. No kidding. He he's got a lot of Naboo stuff in there. What's the deal with that? That's. That's well, interesting. Presumably, Naboo being Palpatine's home world oh my goodness. would be more valuable. And Naboo is such a culturally rich planet. And Luthen not doing a lot this episode other than, like, going well, to see Saw Gerrera. <laughs> yeah, he has, a, he has a sit down with Saw Gerrera. You know, we get, we get Forrest Whitaker killing it. He's got hair this time. Love it. Love to see it. Even now, I think it's interesting seeing how when there's no organized rebellion going on at all, he's still like, no, everybody's an idiot but me, and I'm the only one who knows (laughs) how to really rebel. I was very curious, because I don't know what the timeline is on Jin leaving his party. Yeah, that is an interesting... I'm trying to think five years... Damn, do they even say when they parted ways, really? They probably do. I I remember she mentions that she was still really young, because she was like, you just, like, gave me a blaster and told me good luck, basically, I I feel like. So, I don't know. Pretty bleak that Luthen just cuts off Bix like that. That There's just absolutely no... But I guess it's the Rebellion. You gotta do what you gotta do. And if she's been compromised, which we know she has by the end of this episode by the ISB... Oh, yeah. One insanely small moment that I was just like... It perfectly encapsulates the just, like, shadow games of the ISB and the Empire, and specifically Dedra, she tells her lackey to leave the first prisoner guy that, that where the radio is stashed in his place. And then as soon as Bix comes in, she's like, what are you doing? Take him away. Like, it's, the, it's just, like, all of the games that they're playing, the intimidation games of the ISB as, like, a tactic is... is fascinating to see especially with her i i'm still loving the direction this character is going in even if she's bullying my boy cyril in the interrogation room the meeting that we've been waiting for and it was kind of anticlimactic 
Yeah, is it crazy that I wanted him to get the upper hand on Andor through the Empire? I'm, like, rooting for this man for anything. Like, I want him to have a win of some kind, and he's just crushed around every corner that he turns. But again, he's so pathetic, and I think that's the point of the character. He's, he's Sisyphus, you know? He just can't <laughs> yeah, yeah. get it together. Although he does technically he's... come out with a win at the end of this because he's helped the Empire, and that's going to reflect guess, well on him. I guess, but, like... He he doesn't, that's not enough for the man, you know? He needs his justice. And Deidre says to him, like, if you make another false report, it won't be me who you're answering to. I think maybe that is going to convince him to do that exactly. And, like, that is going to throw more wrenches into her plans looking for Cassian so that he might be able to, you know, get his hooks further into the Empire as an asset so that he's not just, like, thrown aside again. We're getting more fascist with him though you can hear him saying things like can one be too stringent when enforcing order and stuff like yeah that is true that is true i i don't think rebellion's coming anymore for him i think that that ship has sailed yeah i think his alienation is going to build some kind of violent outburst that we've not seen from him yet and i'm very curious who that's going to be directed at maybe his mother we didn't even talk about Mon Mothma. That's more of the same, really, from last episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's conspiring with the other guy from her homeworld of Chandrilla. And her husband is getting more suspicious of it, though, I will say. I think yeah. we're inching closer to his betrayal and the loss of Mon Mothma's family in her life, and that, that'll be interesting. We will move on now to Save the Rec Center. Rocky's going to come back on. Don't worry, he's 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 going to be back for the end of this show, seeing us off. So, excited for Star Noirs next week, man. Yeah, man, I am too. Let, but let's uh let's move on. Let's get back to Rocky. Save the Rexer. Now it's time to save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly rec Recommendations. Rocky, since you're our guest this week, we're going to let you take the first at bat here, buddy. What do you What do you got for us? Yeah, so I think the last time I did this was, I think I did Avatar The Last Airbender. Was that right? Yes, that is right. I remember okay. that. So I, for this time, I'm going to do something similar but a little different. Have either of you seen Attack on Titan? My friend, I absolutely have. I know Garrett is has not because he's not okay. an MA boy, but Okay, Shavis, we gotta talk privately. <laughs> yes, my these friend, days. yes. But Garrett, what have you heard of Attack on Titan? I know there's there's big giant men that that <laughs> don't seem to have any skin and eat people, and I know the theme song is a banger, and that's what I got for you. <laughs> that is one hundred percent accurate, Garrett. Good job. <laughs> yes, all those are super accurate. But Garrett, I think that I I can't recommend Attack on Titan enough uh, for anybody. Hajime Isayama is the name of the guy who made who's the the writer who he wrote the manga for it. And how well thought out the story is and how well planned it is, is just insane. Like you, it's, it, the anime is not done yet, but where we are in the anime right now, you can, you rewatch some of the first episodes and you can see what he was setting up. And my friends who have read the manga, they said that it just like keeps going further. And like the last chapter connects with the first chapter, like, brilliantly apparently i have not read it or i've not read it but i'm planning on watching it when it comes out but i can't recommend it enough the characters are super well written 
the story and the world is so unique but also familiar and it's a very sad story it's like when i like i'm not gonna recommend it for like happy-go-luckiness but (laughs) it is very powerful and it's amazing i i everyone who i've talked to attack on titan about it's just it's just a treat talking about it so yeah that's gonna be my recommendation yeah i definitely second that it's it's a it's one of the most brutal shows i have ever seen in terms of of violence and gore and my god and even like to say that about an anime is is crazy because they go over the top with everything but this show is something something special so i definitely i agree with you on that rock garrett do you want to do you want to hit us up next with what you got to save the rec center I'd love to because I don't have something that's particularly uh, for everyone slash is hyper violent as well. (laughs) Brand new on HBO Max, straight from theaters, the new film Barbarian. I had heard very good things, but I didn't know anything about it other than a couple of the cast members and a vague poster and maybe a little bit of a tagline hinting at the premise, but... I won't get into too many details about the overall trajectory of the film, other than to say that it is definitely not for the faint of heart, and it is not at all what you're going to expect it to be based on either what you know going into the film or what the film sets itself up to be, but it is channeling so many of the camp horror masters. I was genuinely surprised and scared by multiple things that happened in it. The way that people reacted when X came out, a movie I did not get the hype for, that's how I'm feeling about Barbarian. And I don't know if either of you have seen it or know anything about it, but now that it's on HBO and you can watch it in the comfort of your own home and take a little pause when you get a little freaked out, very, very much an enjoyable time. You should have seen how big I was smiling when you were saying all that, because this doesn't happen often, folks, but it's a double rec center. No way, Seamus. It's a a once in a blue moon. It happens. My rec center this week is Zach Kreger's Barbarian, freshly dropped on HBO Max. I loved it, Garrett. I'm so surprised we didn't mention this to each other at all in the last couple days, but I absolutely loved it it's so freaky it's so imaginative zach Kreger is a comedy genius and that is 100 percent a part of this movie it's one of the funniest horror movies i've seen in a couple years like when they break down to the comedy of it all it's so funny genuinely horrifying in all of the horror that it brings to the table here 100 percent not what i thought it was gonna be like you were saying garrett the twists and turns are staggering but I, I absolutely loved it. It's streaming. Throw that bad boy on. and You will not be disappointed at all. So I have not seen the movie, but um, two people recommended it to me this week. And now you two recommended it. So that's <laughs> four total. So I will definitely be watching it maybe tonight or tomorrow. So I'll let you guys know when I watch it. Yeah, please send us a text. Seriously, let us know what dude. you're feeling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Rocky, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on for a second time on pop culture reference i'm very glad that you made the time for us out of your out of your busy schedule i know (laughs) it's great to talk to you and catch up especially with you living all the way out in cali now do you have anything that you want to plug i know obviously we've talked about culture cantina on here before but any social media accounts that you want people to follow anything like that where can we find you 
yeah so uh me and my brother we do uh just uh anything like uh that we want to talk about in the world of uh pop culture pop culture similar to uh garrett and seamus here but uh we do it over on uh, youtube and uh we haven't uploaded in a while just because we we like to do it together we don't really like to do it when we're separated like in different states now but uh yeah culture cantina and then also on instagram uh just you could look up rocky ready kari that's r-o-c-k-y r-e-d-d-y-k-a-r-r-i i just realized there's a lot of y's and i's there <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah follow me on instagram and uh yeah uh thank you guys so much for having me this was really awesome and like just i love talking to you guys because like it's just i feel like no matter what nerdy thing we talk about I feel like we always, and even if we disagree too, we're always like, I, I get what you're saying, man. Like, it's, it's always the best. So <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're great to have on, and we hope to have you on again soon. No, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. If you want to reach the show on social media, you can hit us up at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can reach the show directly by emailing popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week's segment, we're going to be covering god of war 2018 as god of war ragnarok hits Mm -hmm. game consoles across the globe and seamus i know you just started your playthrough so that's gonna be pretty fun yes literally yesterday i just started i'm I'm loving it so far so i can't wait to get down down and get talking with you sorry sorry whoa 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 (laughs) you guys are doing a god of war video oh yeah brother oh yeah okay god of war 2018 is easily top 10 video games of all time. Wow, that's a, that's a is, big statement, Rocky. I freaking cried playing that game. Oh my, I love that game to death. I don't know if I can join you guys next week, but I will say that it is incredible. If you've not played it, play it immediately and God of War Ragnarok. When I boot up that game, I just I might just start crying. <laughs> like I do think, so, but yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. It's got Rocky's stamp of approval. And not to spoil too much of my thoughts for next week, but Rocky, I 100% agree with you in terms of it being one of the most impressive feats of video gaming I have ever encountered. So tune in for that next week, folks. It's going to be a real spicy one. It's going to be a lot of grunts and saying, boy. So that'll be great. That'll be great for everyone. I look forward to talking about that next week. And as the Jedi always say, for adios and amigos. (laughs) 